on the last part of John chapter 6. It's been, uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of verses there, but also a lot of, of content and truth that is uh, so pertinent to every, every person. It's, it's directed to, to every single sinner. So if you're not a sinner, it doesn't matter much to you. But for those of you who are, <clears throat> these are words that are so, so critical to our understanding of our Savior. And I just want us to remember uh, a little bit about how, where, where Jesus has taken us through the course of this. You remember, of course, the miracles that the chapter starts with, where Jesus actually feeds from 10 to 20,000 people with five loaves and two fishes, demonstrating powerfully that he is God, that he is the creator, that he is the one who he could have made that, that meal out of nothing but chose to use the gift from a young boy and multiply it to feed all those many people until they were filled. Uh, he was also then gracious to give his disciples another view of his, his deity, that he is God by coming to them as they, they struggled against the wind, couldn't headway against, couldn't get where they were going. And yet then he came walking across the water, showing that he himself is the Lord of all creation. Uh, he can change the nature of water or of his feet. We're not sure how that all happened, but he is in control. And, and remember, he, they led him into the boat, and the sea was calm. And they were immediately where they were going. Lord, not only of, of the physical, but over time. Space. And then we remember where he started in talking with the people about the truths that came out of those. If you turn with me to chapter John chapter 6, 26 through 29, let's just back up a little bit. See where this whole uh, teaching began in verse 26. It says, Jesus answered them, this is the people who followed him because they were looking for more bread. Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food that which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him the Father, God, has set His seal. Therefore they said to him, What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. And so ever since that point, Jesus has been giving them the truth that they need so they could get from the point of coming because they ate the loaves and they were filled and they just wanted another free meal to a deeper understanding of what it was he meant when he said, here's, here's what you should do. You should believe in the one that God sent, that is, he himself, Jesus, that they should put their trust in him and, and, set, and turn themselves over to him to be joined together with him. And we've just spent all these weeks since then, as Jesus has told them, you, you looked for bread that, that would feed your physical body. I am the bread that came down out of heaven. I am what you truly need to be able to live 
and truly live, not just keep your bodies alive for another day or so. But if you come to me, if you believe in me, if you are joined to me, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, oh, shocking words, especially to us who don't understand the, the, the culture of that time. But he's saying, join into, into a covenant with me. Those are covenant words where people would make an agreement together and they would say, here's bread. Eat this bread. It's as though you're taking me into yourself. And then the other person would do it as well. Here, here, is, here is a glass of wine. Take it into yourself as though it was my blood. It's as though now when you go somewhere, you take me with you. Now the things that are yours are, are, are ours so that we will treat each other as though we were caring for the other. Jesus says, here's what it means that I am the bread. First of all, he says, I am. Using that name of God, he is, I am of the Old Testament. Lord in all caps, your English translation, right? He is Yahweh. But also the Yahweh who gives what is needed to live. And there's been all that back and forth as they've been working through that. And, and they say, how can he have come down out of heaven? And how can he give us his, his flesh to eat? And the struggle back and forth as he, he continues to strive to, to help them understand, to give them that opportunity. And so today, as we round out the end of this teaching, in verse 60 and through the end of the chapter, we'll see that they can't just hear but Jesus expects them to do something with what he's given them, with these truths about himself and about themselves and their great need. Because it's not just that Jesus is here offering themselves, but they don't really need him, but they're desperately needy. They need a Savior. They need someone to give them real life because, because of their sin, they're going to die, and they're going to die eternally if they don't have someone Take care of what they need. And as he brings it all the way down to verse 60, he says, Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? Follow along with me as we read the rest of the chapter. But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words which I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, for this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, You do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? The words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I myself not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you 
is a devil. Now he met Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for, a, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. So we really come down now to what are people going to do with what Jesus has been teaching about himself. And verse 60, and we looked a little bit at this last week, you know, shows us that, that there was a struggle. Um, and, and it's among his disciples, it says there in verse 60. And I want to clarify there when it says disciples at that point, it means a larger group of people who have been following him, not just the 12. And that'll be clarified, I think it's clarified down a little bit later, where he addresses the 12 specifically after disciples have left. And so this is speaking about people who had seen Jesus, they'd heard him, and they started to follow him. They're starting to go up, maybe even just the ones who followed him from the feeding of, the, of the, the, the multitude. But they've been attracted to Jesus, and they've got various reasons for having followed him, which hasn't changed, has it? People follow Jesus for a lot of reasons even today. And they're hearing him, they're watching him, they're learning from him, but their level of belief and their level of commitment isn't yet established. They're still working things out. And now they've heard what they've called a, a difficult statement or literally a harsh word. It's like, Jesus, that's hard to take the things you said about yourself. That in order to have eternal life, we have to believe in you. And you've defined that further as saying, I have to be totally in with you, totally united with you. And you put it in terms like, eat my flesh and drink my blood. That's hard to take, Jesus. Don't know if I can go there. And Jesus, he's spoke, spoken these things to them to show the reality of who he truly is. To show them the level of commitment that comes with truly following him. It's not just, yeah, count me in. I'll be back later to see how things are going. Now, Jesus says, this is more like a marriage, maybe more so. Marriage, the two become one, right? Jesus says, yeah, we're going, I want you to be united with me, and you bring your sin, I'll bring my flesh, which was given for you. I'll bring a death that I'm going to die into the relationship to pay for your sin. You bring your failings, your mortality, everything from your life, the good things too, the relationships, the joys, the possessions, bring them to the relationship. And I'll bring everything that I am as God. They're saying, that's a pretty big commitment, Jesus. We don't know if we want to go that far. This is a difficult statement. And then we get to verse, the first part of verse 61. It says, but Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this. Remember back earlier, John called the discussion that the Jews had back in verse 41 grumbling when they were saying, how can this man have come down from heaven? We know who his parents are and his brothers. and Right? Grumble, murmur, num. Mm -hmm. The leaders rejected Jesus in that moment. They had that kind of an attitude that you hear in that, in that kind of a voice, right? They said, he can't be the one, one, someone who came down out of heaven. He's just from the next town over. We know who he is. 
The idea of being completely joined to Jesus to gain life from Him now has become the questionable thing to this larger group. And you can hear the murmuring or grumbling as they talk about it amongst themselves. And Jesus then begins to clarify things. Help them to make, make sure that they understand what he's talking about. Uh, it talks about here, first of all, of his awareness, that he was conscious in the New American Standard of, of their, their thoughts. Literally, that word means he knew within himself. How did he know these things? That's raised multiple times in this passage. And, and really, it's simply, it is because Jesus is God. Now, in the case of Jesus, who took on flesh, and before his, his resurrection, did he know that because he relied on the Holy Spirit like we have to? And the Father? There's some mystery there. But it's very clear that he didn't have to go around and take a survey about what they were thinking. He knew. Now he doesn't try to convince them that they misunderstood him. They're murmuring about something that is hard. What he, what he told them was exactly what he meant. And now he acts according to perfect understanding because he didn't misunderstand them either and why they were, they were grumbling about whether they should be totally in with Jesus or not. And so he starts asking questions. So in the second part of verse 61, he says, does this cause you to stumble? And he uses a word there in, in the Greek where we get our word scandal from. So maybe in a sense he's saying, does this scandalize you that I ask you for this level of commitment to totally put your whole life in with me because I am God? Does this, another way that word is used is, is like as a stumbling block or as a snare or a trap. He says, do, do these words of mine, they feel, make you feel trapped? Do they make you feel like, how do I get out of this? Do they make you feel like, this is more than I bargained for. Where's the door? Jesus wants them to come to a point of decision. And he's not going to lighten his message. He's not going to change his message to get some people to be half-hearted followers. He, in fact, is asking them to join themselves to him. And so he says, does this scandalize you? Do you think this is more than you can take? And then he takes it another step further. Rather than actually making it easier, he didn't say, well, well it's not as bad as you think. He continues on uh, then in verse 62. He says, what then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? And going to where he was before, remember he did say, I'm the bread that has come down out of heaven. And he says, you have a hard time with this? What if I go back to heaven? Now, there's a couple of different uh, angles that maybe he was working at here. Uh, one has to do with the fact that Jesus, when he considered his ascension back to heaven, which was going to be, he was going to be uh, doing within about a year from this time, always thought about it in the sense of that it, the path to ascending was through the cross. Okay? And so uh, if you look back at Luke chapter 9, verse 51... It's interesting the way that Luke records Jesus' attitude as he heads in that, that time to the cross. <clears throat> and there it says, When the days were approaching for his ascension, 
he was determined to go to, the, to Jerusalem. Notice it doesn't say when the days were approaching for him to go to the cross. Jesus was looking through the cross to his ascension back to the Father. And so his days, as he neared returning to the glory with his Father, or how, how Luke puts it. And so there's a sense in which he's saying, when you see me go to the cross before I go back to heaven, then what? Are you going to be able to accept me then? And then the other, the other part of that simply is the fact that if Jesus is God the Son and came down from heaven, then he can finish the work his Father sent him to do in redeeming sinners out of their penalty, and he can return back to heaven to where he was. In other words, he's, he's God. How are you going to handle that when I go back to heaven? I mean, this is not the kind of king that you were asking for when you tried to make me your king after I fed you. You were looking for a king to feed you and to provide for your physical needs and maybe overthrow the Romans. They're questioning Jesus' validity. And now he says, well, and what if I do what I've been sent to do here and I leave? And you can't make me your earthly king. You can't make me the one who rescues you from the Romans. What kind of a commitment will you have then? Though I demonstrate that I'm far much or far better than that. Do you trust me? He say. Or do you simply want me to provide what you want? You know, many people have been disillusioned all through the ages with Jesus because of that very reason. He didn't provide what they were expecting. The thing is, when we entrust ourselves to Jesus, it's just to lay aside those expectations. Because what he has for us is so much better. Our eyes are on this physical world. Our eyes are on the pain now. Our eyes are on the desires we have now that we want satisfied. We want him to do for us. And when he doesn't do that, get disillusioned. We think, oh, well, Jesus, he really didn't come through, did he? And yet, he says, trust me, I have something that's more than you thought you could have. Maybe not even the same things, because your eyes are on this world. Your eyes are on the physical. Your eyes are on the temporary. Things that are going to come, and they're going to go. So what if I go back to where I came from? How's that going to impact the way that you see me and your level of commitment here? And Jesus further clarifies in verse 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. And so he adds another aspect to this reality. And a call to reality, away from the fact that they're, they're just looking at, at things that are temporary and earthly. They need life on a, on a spiritual level, not just a physical level. Real ongoing life has to come from the Spirit of God, he's telling them. If you want real life, it won't come with another meal, with more money, with more status, with freedom from the Romans. No, real life has to come from the Holy Spirit. And it happens 
inside of you as He brings it to you. The Holy Spirit is in this process of believing and being joined to Jesus. And it's so much more than they first considered. And it's so much better. Then he gives a contrast. He says the flesh brings no real benefit. Okay, The things that you gain for the pleasure of your body, the things that you gain because you and your, and your humanness want them, says, oh, they may bring you some pleasure for a little while, but they don't bring any real profit, any real gain that matters. Everything you seek to enjoy on that level will one day be gone. And I'm discovering the older I get, and maybe you're discovering the older you get, the more that's obvious. Those things you've wanted throughout your life, and you see them come, and you see them go. You see them be bright and shiny, and you see them just become very unimportant. And whether it's actual material things, or if it's accomplishments, or if it's status, or it's a certain situation within your life, it comes and then it goes, right? He says, it profits nothing. Not just a little bit, nothing at all. It's worthless. It won't ultimately satisfy you. Jesus says, the things I've told you, these words that I've told you, are spirit and they are life. If you believe me with the words I said and therefore believe in me and trust yourself to me, join yourself, your life fully to my life and all that is me, ah, then you will find what it is you're looking for, but better. Then you will have life that impacts your spirit that goes on forever. And as he says again and again, life eternal. Life that doesn't end. Unlike your ancestors, they ate manna, right? These people were thinking, well, let's get manna. That was really good for our ancestors. Guess what happened to them? They died. I want to give you a life that doesn't end when your physical body is in the grave. My, the words I've spoken to you today take you beyond the grave to a life that truly matters. This question is, are you listening? Are you really listening? Are you just trying to get what you want? And then he boils it down, verse 64. Here's the problem. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, for this reason I have said to you that no one can me unless it had been granted him from the Father. He says, Here, here's where the breakdown is. It isn't, isn't that you couldn't hear me. It isn't that my words are unable to be understood at all. But some of you haven't become believing ones. Some of you haven't believed in me and, and therefore gone into a state of being those who believe me on an ongoing basis. Because he uses the present tense there, that ongoing kind of action. So just hearing the truth isn't enough. A person must begin believing himself or herself. He says, don't miss this opportunity to believe it's about you individually. You have to believe for yourself. 
Just hearing it, being in the presence, being in the group isn't enough. Having friends, relatives, whatever, who believe does nothing for you that way. You personally have to say, yeah, Jesus, you're right. I am a sinner. I do need the bread of life that you provide for me. And Jesus, it says here again, interestingly, knows. He knew those who weren't going to believe. It was something that was true in the past. He uses an unusual tense here. I'm not sure I can even explain. But it, it's, a, it's a knowledge that goes back to the beginning. And again, is the reality. There are those who will not ever become believing ones, no matter how well the message is presented. But this doesn't stop, notice, doesn't stop Jesus from accurately and earnestly presenting the truth to them. He keeps on speaking the truth, even though he knows some will not believe. And notice he also brings in again the Father. Here for the third time in this, this teaching time, he talks about the need in verse 65 of the Father being the one who makes this all happen. For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. In essence saying, are you, do you have the same Father? I do. They believed, and again, I mentioned this before, by chapter 8, there's going to be a big debate, a big argument over who the father of some of the Jews was. Jesus will claim your fear of your father, the devil. And they'll say, we, we don't have any father but God. Uh, well, if God is your father, you will believe in his son. And so though we're called to take the gospel to everyone, we don't have the ability to make anyone believe. That's the hard part of it. There's no secret formula of doing everything just right, having just the right presentation, getting things in just the right order, with the right story, with the right application, whatever, so people will, will bow down and believe in Jesus. God is the one who does that, works in their hearts. Draws them, as he said here, my father. No one comes unless my father draws him, right? Is there mystery in that? There is. Does it confuse us? Well, we've been debating about it for 2,000 years, yes. If you understand it, or think you do, you may need to dig deeper into it, because it's hard. But it's good. Because who is the father? Well, he's the one who loves us all more than anything, right? But he has to be involved there. Question is, if you're struggling with believing, talk to the Father, right? Don't, don't say, oh, well, I just can't believe. Well, talk to the Father. He's the one who brings people to Jesus. That's what you ought to be doing if you're struggling with believing. Remember, he brings Judas into this, right? Judas spent three years, day in, day out with Jesus, watching him teach and all those things, and yet Judas still refused to believe. And Jesus knew in advance that he would be that way, and yet he loved him just like he loved the rest. He gave the truth to him just like he gave it to all the rest. He even entrusted things to Judas, and he still didn't believe. So what are the responses then of the people who heard all of this amazing teaching that we find what, what we call John chapter 6. 
Well, verse 66, it says, As a result of this, many of His disciples withdrew and were not walking with Him anymore. For many, Jesus was laying out a level of belief and commitment that they'd not been expecting. They'd come after the miracle worker. They'd come to see the man who had given them bread. They liked some of the things that He had to say. They really liked the miracles, especially getting free food. They liked the idea of having him as a king who could do all those things for them as a nation. And then maybe that would help them get rid of the, the Romans, right? But when he instead asks for a complete identification and a uniting of their lives with him, it became too much. It meant that he was in control, right? If they just took everything that they were and united it with him, who's in control? Well, he is, because he said, I am, right? He's demonstrated he is God. And what if that meant then giving their things, leaving behind the things they were comfortable with? What if it meant changing their ways? Jesus was making claims that only God could make. And you know, I think, often we think, well, if I could just talk to God directly, that would make believing so easy. These people were talking, were listening to God Himself in human flesh. And what seemed like maybe that would be so easy suddenly became extremely difficult. Because it meant, oh, I got to... I, you are who you say you are. I've just got to simply turn everything over, everything over to you. I've got to be all in with you. And that terrifies me because I don't really trust you. And they no longer walked with him. They'd started walking along with Jesus to check him out. But the literal translation of what's here has to do with they went back to their old stuff, their previous things. The way of life they'd had before they started walking along, observing Jesus. So that's your first group. They just, they walked away. We don't know what happened to them. Maybe some of them on the day of Pentecost believed at that point. We, we don't know their long term, but on this day said so the commitment's too much. And then Jesus brings it to a head, though, with the twelve. And here's where he singles them out. He says, so Jesus said to the twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? And he words the question in a way that, that expects a negative reply. But he wants them to stop and do some evaluation. It's a pointed question. And this point in time was an easy out. A lot of other people walked away. This would be the easiest time to say, um, you know, I'm going with them, Jesus. See, they've been, they've been listening along with all the rest of the crowd. And they've had background with Jesus. They've watched him do miracles. They've been watching, listening. And now it's evaluation time. Are you all in? Or are you too going to abandon this walk, this way of life of living with Jesus? And go back to where you were before. Peter, Andrew, James, John, you, you can go back to fishing and make that your life. Remember at one point they walked away, left their nets, and followed him. Jesus says, here's, here's, here, here it is. 
You can go back to your nets now. Is that what you're going to do? Matthew, you're going to take up tax collecting again? You made a lot better money doing that. Is that what you're going to live for? Where you're going to invest your life? Simon, you were a zealot. You were passionately, politically, militarily going after getting rid of the Roman overlords. It's a cause to live for, right? Is, are you going to go back to that cause or are you going to be all in with me, Jesus asks. Verse 68 is a powerful verse. Simon Peter, here speaking for the group, answered him, Lord, great way to start. You're the one in charge, right? Not just mister, but Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. There's no real alternative, Jesus. That's the best, the worst reason. Right? I mean, there's, there's nowhere else to go, Jesus. What, how can we leave you? On the other hand, you have, you alone have words of eternal life. Those things we used to follow after, how, how can we go back to those? Those don't give us life. Those don't transform us. Those don't make us new. Recognizing that Jesus truly is who he claimed to be, at least to some degree, Peter then says, where would we go if we want life? You have life within yourself, as told them already. Uh, these things you're saying are hard, but where else would we get life that never ends? We don't see anybody out there with this truth or a truth that's that would show this to be wrong. And he makes a bold, bold statement in verse 29. I'm sorry, it's verse 69. Uh, we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. He uses here a tense that says, we have done this and it has an ongoing impact on us. We have believed and have keep on believing. And have come to know with an experiential knowledge and keep on knowing with an experiential knowledge that this is who you are. We've put you to the test by being with you. We've lived with you. We've seen you day in. We've seen you day out. And we know now that you are the Holy One of God. It's a very similar uh, name to the Old, Old Testament name when God is called the Holy One of Israel. This is on the same level with Peter's other statement, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, which if you're using some translations, it actually imports that answer into this place. But I believe this is the, the accurate, you are the Holy One of Israel. It's a good and it's a believing response. And so it indicates a beginning, a believing that goes on and grows. Now understand, this doesn't mean that Peter and the others have got this all worked out, do they? I mean, Peter's going to have that time when Jesus talks about going to the cross, and Peter says, Lord, forbid it. Get behind me, Satan. Oh, wow. And Peter, when he's confronted, when Jesus is on trial, says, I never knew him. Right? Doesn't mean he's got this all worked out, that it's all, all straight. He's learning, he's growing, he's stumbling, but Jesus is lifting him back up again, right? 
They're setting him on the right track. And he's saying, we have believed and we have come to know this is true. We have become believing ones. Of course, he was speaking for the whole group. And yet, verses 70 and 71 tell us that, in fact, not all of them were believing ones. Jesus answered, said to him, did I myself not choose you? So there's, there's he's, a sense in which he's, I'm pleased that you are believing. This is the best thing. The twelve. And yet one of you is a devil, or maybe even better translated, the devil. Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for one of the disciples was going, for he, one of the disciples, was going to betray him. Judas didn't, you know, he didn't raise his hand and say, oh, Peter, that's not quite where I'm at. He fit right in, right? Nobody else, none of the disciples were saying, oh, Peter, you don't mean Judas. Really only Jesus knew. Later on, remember that at the Last Supper, talk about the one that's going to betray, and then they go around the table, Lord, is it me? Can't imagine any of these other men betraying you. Am I the one who's going to do it? But Jesus here makes it clear that even though Judas, again, had spent all this time, Jesus had chosen Judas. Judas, come and follow me. Be one of my inner circle, my, these 12 that I'm going to, to disciple, to train, to lead. He did all those things, but Judas wasn't willing to enter into a believing relationship with Jesus, the bread of life. He'd continue to be there and hear Jesus' words and see his miracles, but he never came into a covenant relationship of belief, being joined with Jesus. He was there with his own ideas of what Jesus would accomplish. But then when, Jesus, or when Judas realizes that Jesus is not going to provide what he expects, Judas plots and carries out the most treacherous act of betrayal in all of time. And he actually betrays the Son of God. Being with Jesus won't make a person believe. In fact, though he looked just like the others, Jesus actually called him the devil. And later on, we'll see that the devil actually does enter into him when he, he carries out his act of betrayal. He looked like the rest. He'd had all of the same opportunities. So don't fall for the idea that, well, if I could only heard Jesus in person, if I really could have just been there physically with him and, and heard all the things he had to say, I, I could believe. No, J Judas had the opportunity that very few people in all of history ever had to walk with Jesus, to interact with him personally, to know him. And he still said, no, I don't believe. In fact, I think I'm going to get what I can out of this and go to the point of betraying the most innocent man that ever lived. Those are the kinds of reactions that can be had to this amazing truth that Jesus lays out in John chapter 6. And I just want us to review some of the key things that Jesus, again, brought out about salvation and from many key angles. First, remember, through these, this chapter, he has made clear that He is God, the Creator who makes bread and controls the physical world, even the wind, the water, and its properties, space and time. 
He's shown that we need him spiritually, like we need food to live physically. He said, I am the bread of life. He used that covenant name of God. I exist in and of myself with no other need. I exist because I exist. No outside source causes me to exist. And specifically explained that he is God, the one who provides true nourishment in himself. He taught that we must eat the bread of life, which means that each person must enter into a relationship of believing in him that merges his or her life with Jesus because he has what it takes to live eternally because he gave his life for our sin. He taught in this chapter that we must believe and the Father must act. This is a mystery, but we're totally reliant on the Father. Understand, it's, we don't have what it takes to be smart enough or wise enough or anything else enough to enter into that relationship. We're dependent on the Father to make that happen. He taught here that some will hear and some will walk away. He taught here that some will stay with Jesus, but never believe, just mix in with the crowd, never actually having believed within their hearts. And he taught, too, that this is a walk with Jesus in which we will sometimes stumble, but when we've entered into it, we'll ultimately grow and we will change because of the life that becomes ours in him and the relationship that we have with the life giver. Those are some key things he taught there. I urge you to come back around to this chapter again and again and live in this life that he offers you. That I believe many, many of you have entered into and said, yes, I believe. Live in this life. This life of John chapter 6. Let's pray. Father, you are so good to us and and I do pray that uh, you would be, by your Spirit, working in each of our hearts today, whether it be to be renewed with the joy of the salvation that can be ours by believing in Christ, uh, whether it be that we uh, say, ah, I need to, to take more seriously, more fully uh, this life that has become mine and, and not let the things of the world around me distract me from what an uh, amazing gift I have by having been able to believe in you. Or maybe it's someone's here today, Lord, that, that hasn't ever believed in Jesus and trusted themselves to him, become united with him in his eternal life, his complete life. Lord, if, if there's anyone here like that today, I pray, pray that you would draw them to your son and that they would say to you, please forgive me of my sins. Please join me to your son, Jesus. Jesus, please save me. And give me the life that never ends, that is full and rich, that is yours, that I may share with you what you have. Father, we know that that uh, is your will, that none would perish, but all would come to repentance. And so for any who have not come to repentance now, I pray you would bring them there today now, entering into a life that never ends with Jesus. 
Father, help us to just rejoice in this life, all of us. Uh, that that is hard to describe, it's hard to even understand all that Jesus had to say there, but that we can grow in day by day. Help us to just expand our hearts, our minds, to be able to, to take in more and understand more of that and, and to live more of what's here. We ask this, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.